Hello, Connected Parents, and welcome to another episode of Connected Parenting. I'm looking forward to this episode. This is my second episode um, in our guest series, and I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Friedman today, a physician with a PhD in molecular biology. He left his career in allopathic medicine to pursue his passion and purpose of helping people overcome fear and anxiety without medication. Dr. Friedman, um, for more than 20 years, has helped thousands of clients worldwide to break through their mental and emotional blocks and become empowered leaders of their lives. Dr. Friedman is the author of the award-winning book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution. His newest book, The Empowerment Solution, just came out in March, focuses on activating the healing power of the subconscious mind to switch out of stress and anxiety-driven survival mode and make authenticity and confidence the everyday way of being. Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer Caleri. I'm a child and family therapist and a parenting coach and the founder of Connected Parenting. And welcome to the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. Join me every week and we'll tackle everything from temper tantrums to bedtime to sibling issues to teenage angst. Parenting can be so wonderful, but it can be so hard. Parents often say to me, hey, can you just come live at my house? This is the next best thing. Let's do this together. So hello, I am so excited to have you on my show and have the viewers here just about your work and some of the wonderful things you're doing. So can we start out by hearing, like, what do you do? Tell me about, tell me about your work. Yes, well, I have been for the last 20 years helping people to overcome anxiety. So that's kind of how people usually find me. They have issues with panic attacks, obsessive compulsive behavior. And usually the people find me that have tried everything and feel like, okay, I guess I have to try something else because the regular route hasn't worked. Because my approach is more working with the subconscious mind on a conscious way. So that it means is basically that we are working with what I think is the resource, uh, the source, the, the deeper reason why we have anxiety, and that's the subconscious mind. And just understanding how the subconscious mind work and and realizing that we can consciously help the subconscious to overcome anxiety is in a nutshell the approach that I've taken for now many years. And and that has been a you know unfolding over the last you know five, six years to also helping people, which is really ultimately the journey to find themselves. Because only battling anxiety is just not enough. Yeah, that's very true. So there's so many places, there's so, so many things I want to ask you, but first of all, and I've noticed as a practitioner, I mean, anxiety has been, I feel like a building problem for the last many years, but I think it's sort of reached a crescendo recently. And I just really feel like so many people are struggling with it. And I feel like there's a contagious element to anxiety as well. Are you seeing that also? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's an epidemic and it's also, for me, it makes perfect total sense that people are struggling with anxiety because I mean you are focusing for especially on, on education and child children and I mean look at how much stress they're under how many expectations we put on the children and and how many distractions they're dealing with so there is no room even for error and that already is setting us up for oh my god you know what if I failed but that's only the surface. You know, when we are when we're really looking at the anxiety more as a messenger from inside that is designed evolutionary to say, oh, there is something dangerous. Maybe there is a tiger out there or a snake or 
I mean, it's you know, evolutionary preserve to protect us. But is it really now about protecting from some mortal danger? Or is it protecting us from not fitting in, failing, disappointing, all of those things? And that is what a lot of the anxiety is about. And it's getting worse and worse with higher and higher expectations and more and more confusion on what is acceptable. How am I supposed to be? What is it what the society, the internet, social media, my parents want from me? And that is overwhelming, not only for young adults or children, but also, of course, for us. Well, absolutely. Well, and add, you know, politics and pandemics and wars and there's just, and global warming. I mean, you know, when I work with children, I literally hear little ones, six, seven years old that can't sleep because they're worried, is there going to be a world for me when I'm 15? Am I going to get to be 30? Am I going to, you know, have children? So these are the things that they kind of sit with and worry about that we really didn't have to. You touched on something really interesting a minute ago too, which I think is such an important part of anxiety for people to understand. And I want you to kind of speak to it for my listeners, but anxiety, you know, it's self-preservatory. It loves you. It wants to keep you safe. It's in charge of the safety, you know, system in the brain. And you get this sort of surge of adrenaline and cortisol, which really is meant to fight something or run from something. But you know, if you're worried about the exam you just wrote or your bills that you have to pay or, a, you know, a promotion, whether you're going to get it or not, there's no way to burn off that adrenaline and you end up in this feedback loop. So I wonder if you could kind of speak to that for our viewers. Yeah, of course. I mean, that is the chronic anxiety that um, so many people are dealing with. And once you have this chronic surge of the, the physiological response of release of stress hormones, uh, and also the, you know, the setting in the brain of always looking for whatever can go wrong. Uh, there is naturally also then this, you know, feeling of that becomes your life, that becomes your identity. I mean, there is a reason why 70% of uh, doctor visits are related to stress. And you could say anxiety is a cousin of stress. Yeah. But I want to just touch on something that I find really important for listeners to understand the anxiety doesn't tell you the truth. So when you're constantly in this worry about yes, that bill or that exam, or do I get into the college that I'm supposed to go into and all those things? Yes, that of course can always create its a world on its own. But what I find when I work with people, and that we really go to the to the deepest level of what anxiety is really about. The deepest level is really that they are afraid to be themselves and that who they are is not enough. And so all this external stuff, whether it's the finances or the career or the relationships we're worried about, it's all just a worry because we identify ourselves with those ideas. And we don't really have that permission and maybe the courage to just find out, well, who am I? What do I want? And I say this because I was on a track where I was the most anxious and the most dealing with, you know, panic attacks, OCD, when I was a doctor, when I was in cardiology, when I worked, you know, my way up thinking, okay, I have to become a professor and that's, you know, my goal. And, and I was convinced of that consciously, but subconsciously, it was eating me up. It was extremely stressful. Now, yes, being a resident in a big hospital is stressful, but there was something else. It was just always telling me, do you really want to do this for 25 years? Is that really how you want to see people? Because I saw that, you know, the longer I worked, the more callous I became. 
You know, you cannot really handle people suffering, dying when you're a sensitive person without saying, okay, that's too much. I'm just going to see it more, you know, as a case, as a number, as I don't necessarily want to get emotionally involved. And the more I felt that something shuts down, the more panic I got because I lost a part of who I was. And you were trapped. Where I had to really make a course correction. And thank God I could. But that's something that a lot of people probably feel. I'm not living the life I want. I'm not being the person I can be. I just don't necessarily know how to do that. And is it too late? And I can only tell you, no matter how old you are, no matter where you are, it's never too late to listen to your anxiety and ask yourself, is it really about this outside stuff? Or am I just not really living up to myself? That is really powerful. And I want to explore that for a minute because anxiety gets such a bad rap. You know, when I work with kids and adults, it's like, it's not the enemy. It's not the bad guy. It's an unintegrated part of yourself that is usually either trapped as you were or not following the path or feeling like it's not enough and it's trying to talk to you. So I find that a lot of traditional therapies and they can work for a lot of people. Um, the message is we need to control the anxiety. We need to get rid of the anxiety. And if you want to make anxiety bigger, tell it that, right? Tell it you're trying to get rid of it or control it. It, it will, it's a monster. I mean, it will just rise up and say, no, 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 you need me. Are you crazy? Like, and it gets louder and it gets bigger. And in your case, you were able to figure out that it was, you were on the wrong path. That was not the path for you. Your soul was screaming at you basically. And then you Thank found you. And I think too, there's probably a lot of people who feel all that physiology and feel the anxiety, but wouldn't even think, wouldn't even know, oh, maybe this is a portal. Maybe I am on the wrong path. Is there something deeper here? So uh, let's talk about that for a minute, because there's so many people, I'm sure, that don't see anxiety as a messenger. Well, and that's unfortunately, you know, we are focusing on the symptoms. And I often say, you know, if you have pain, physical pain, and you only take pain medication and not ever get curious about where does the pain come from? Do I have maybe a broken foot or is there any inflammation or something? Well, the pain just needs more of that pain medication because the root is not really addressed. And that's often the problem that we are focusing so much on the uncomfortable symptom. And we're not asking ourselves what actually is underneath it. And we're also not asking ourselves, why is it getting louder? The longer I'm working on myself, the more I'm trying to somehow self-medicate or get medication, the more difficult it becomes. Why is that? Well, because the message is not listened to. And something is still somewhat missing. And, and that's what I think, if we can look a little bit anxiety as really a necessity for us to eventually lead a more healthy and happier life, well, then we can actually embrace it and say, oh, oh thank you for being here. I must be somehow out of balance yeah. or I must be on the wrong track or I must have something inside of me. I had clients that told me their anxiety was because they were deep inside since children, artists, but they lived as accountants and they knew I don't have to necessarily, you know, quit my day job, but I have to give this little artist inside of me some voice, some canvas. And just by doing that, they were back in balance and the anxiety was gone. It was just like, I remember one woman who was just baffled by how much anxiety she had and how but she was dealing with insomnia and constantly stressed and and just realizing, yeah, I, I was really 
ignoring such an important aspect of myself mm-hmm. that brought her into a place of wholeness again mm-hmm. and so it doesn't have to be a career change or you have to move to a different country it can really just be something that is more simple but still incredibly powerful absolutely well and so let's talk about the mechanics of anxiety because i mean this all sounds wonderful but and it's true it's absolutely true but when people get in that anxiety cycle, in that loop, and anxiety is a beast. I mean, it just gets, as you say, the more you ignore it, the more it's like, hello, you're not listening to me. And it kind of ups the ante to get you to pay attention. And I sort of think of it as, you know, the Chinese finger trap. <laughs> yes. Kind of like pull your finger out, the tighter it gets. And it, it's really kind of like that. And it can be so difficult to even access your frontal lobe, to even think rationally. The, the anxiety just consumes you and it pulls you in to this terrifying place. Can you speak to that for my listeners? What can someone do when they're so trapped, when the anxiety is so uh, powerful? Because it, it, it's for people who haven't experienced anxiety, I mean, it, it's, it's a, a miserable, miserable feeling. It's, it's very difficult to describe. It's very powerful. You, I have clients that say, I want to jump out of my skin. I, I can't breathe. I can't think about anything else. It's like, um, it's sort of like being in an elevator and it, it sort of, you know, the, the elevator jumps and then you realize it's holding you know, on by like partial cable and at any moment could drop and people are saying, hey, you know what? Do your breathing. Think about what's really important to you. You can't do any of that stuff when you're hanging by a thread. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that. Well, I'm glad I'm talking to you because I'm wondering what you're telling people that have children that have temper tantrums. Yeah. They're getting louder and louder and louder and screaming more and more and more and getting more and more unruly. And the parents say, oh, my God, this is so overwhelming. I'm hanging by a thread. I want to shoot my child. I mean, you know, you know that this is noise that wants attention and the parent cannot say to the child go away because the child still needs it and that's the same with the anxiety the anxiety needs us and so there is an approach that i think you take which i know you take which is much more an approach of compassion and listening and understanding and and comforting and ultimately it's opening your heart and we have to do the same with our anxiety the anxiety is the inner child having a temper tantrum if you see the anxiety as the inner child and not as a beast or a monster or anything but an inner child having a temper tantrum then as a parent you can say okay i guess there's still for me some you know help needed for my child inside because i mean for me personally i know my inner child was screaming because it was still in that trap that my parents set that i am only loved and only acceptable if I'm perfect, if I'm really succeeding, if I meet all expectations, that's a trap that I was set in. That's my interpretation of my childhood. And when I was in that, again, that loop of having to perform, 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 and having a stern department head who constantly said, well, you're going to have a short contract, so you better measure up. Otherwise, you're going to get kicked out, which he did with everyone. Then it was just the child again that's saying, oh, my God, we are in the same situation. We're in the same place. I can't deal with this anymore. And so that was the belief. I am not good enough and I'm only acceptable if I'm trying to measure up. And that's a false belief. But that's a belief that I had to understand. Something inside of me said, you know, we are living in this. 
do you really want to continue to live like this for 25 years? And just seeing my anxiety visually as a child who is crying, I have some pictures of me crying from my parents teasing me and it was just, you know, really desperate because they were teasing me so hard. And this picture and me imagining this is my child inside of me crying, that in itself opens your heart. That in itself makes you more compassionate. And there is no more powerful feeling than compassion and love. And that is stronger than, than anxiety. Yeah. In fact, anxiety, in a way, I think of it as sort of the absence of that love, right? The more you're separated from that part of yourself, the more um, heavy and intense that feeling gets. So I love this idea. And I, I talk about this with the people that I work with too, that the anxiety is not the enemy. It loves you. It's self-preservatory. It just wants you to be safe. And it thinks anytime you change a state or try something new, or you're stuck somewhere where you shouldn't be, that you're going to die. Something's going to chase you and attack you. And the more you ignore it, like that child, the louder and the bigger and the more intense it gets to get you to listen. So I love the self-compassion piece because that's a big thread of what we do here as well. We, we not only have people be compassionate and empathic to, the, to their children, you know, because we really believe that love is medicine. Um, yeah self-compassion right we have i really think it's important for parents to do that for themselves so on that thread like the anxiety itself loves you it wants you to be safe so the idea of seeing it as a child turning around and saying okay i'm listening i'm here thank you for being so diligent thank you for trying to get my attention thank you for being so loud i'm listening it's absolutely counterintuitive right it's the exact opposite your brain wants you to run blame somebody drink something smoke something you know, you know get help help i need to be out of this situation but the more you run the tighter it gets well i mean the if you think about the child if you run away from the child when it needs you i mean naturally it just gets more scared if you are you know imagine a, a parent who has a child that's crying and only just you know downs a few stiff ones I mean, that child is freaking out. Oh, my my dad or my mom are just getting more and more drunk and, uh, you know, I'm feeling less and less uh, protected. That makes total sense. But see, that is also the solution in regards to how the subconscious, which again is this part that is creating these protective patterns and anxiety, needs the, the conscious adult or the conscious self to take leadership. The subconscious that is this protective inner force doesn't want to always have to do the thing that it has been doing since ever, usually since our childhood. But it doesn't know if it can trust the conscious mind because the conscious person has done pretty much everything but taken care of the anxious subconscious. And, and often, you know, I saw this too. Why did I not listen to my anxiety? but pushed myself even harder and wanted to, uh, you know, get even more uh, to higher levels and put myself even more out there to succeed. So my subconscious didn't trust me because I didn't pay attention to it. And my anxiety didn't feel safe because I wasn't compassionate. And what I noticed is when the more we are collaborating with this anxious part of us and the more we are also really showing up with kindness, but also with commitment. Yes, I'm going to sit down and going to listen to my negative thoughts. And yes, I'm going to do my breathing because I know it's going to ground me. And yes, I will not watch Walking Dead right before to bed because 
watching zombies scares my inner child and that's why I always have nightmares. And yes, I will not try to sleep better with half a bottle of wine because again, that doesn't make me a caring, conscious adult. If you implement all those little changes, then your subconscious says, oh, I guess I can get off the driver's seat. I guess someone else can drive my life. I guess this person can be trusted. And, and that you... just all time. Yeah, that's very powerful. I'm going to loop this back because I think this is such an important part of the conversation. But I want to speak to the kind of looping that happens with anxiety. Mm. So what, it's almost this feedback loop where you have this adrenaline that you can't burn off because there's nothing right in front of you, right? It's all in our, it's, it's all sort of happening in our heads often. I mean, true anxiety is there something going to, you know, something's going to fall on me. I talk to my clients about useful anxiety and useless anxiety, right? Useless anxiety, use, you know, useful anxiety is, oh, that bookshelf's going to fall on me. I better get out of the way, right? Useless anxiety is I wrote that test. It's done. It's over. Worrying about it and looping around in my head about it isn't going to change right. that, right? So, and you sort of talked about it as that, that voice. It's not always telling you the truth, right? And how to recognize when it's anxiety and when it's not. But what often happens is you start to become afraid of the anxiety itself. So I'd love you to speak to that, especially with panic attacks. You start being afraid. Am I going to have a panic attack? Am, am, is my anxiety going to get me? And there's a sort of looping there that you get really trapped in. And the anxiety can get so strong that it will tell you not to use your strategies, not to do your breathing, not to listen to that person who's telling you what to do. Um, how, help, help viewers understand that quagmire. Well, I think especially the secondary anxiety <clears throat> is almost like a conscious choice to say the anxiety is evil. It's bad. It's terrible. It doesn't feel good. I don't want it. And so the anxiety becomes literally the, the focus that you need to protect yourself from. And, and that is, you know, when you're realizing, okay, I'm going to make my anxiety actually more anxious, you know, this first anxiety, this inner child anxiety by being scared of it. It's like, you know, you have a newborn, and you're always afraid that it's going to cry at three o'clock in the morning and take away your sleep and you cannot work the next day. And well, that's not a very nourishing in, uh, environment to be in. But, you know, I understand it because panic attacks feel horrible. I mean, I had plenty myself. But the thing about panic attacks is that, you know, they are pretty much you never really wanting to spend any time with the on going or the undercurrent or the slowly increasing anxiety. Usually panic attacks happen to people that don't want to look, don't want to feel, don't want to have any kind of anxiety. And then it just builds, 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 builds. And at some point it just, uh, you know, overflows. So if you're more consistent and not say, well, you know, a panic attack can happen anytime. No, a panic attack doesn't happen anytime, but you cannot use all these great tools when you have a panic attack. It's almost too late. You know, you need some bailout then, but those, you know, take a breath. When you have panic attacks, it's almost too late. It's like learning to drive on ice. Well, that's not really ideal environment. And so just use awareness when you feel good and realize I do have anxious thoughts. There is in the morning when I wake up already a little voice telling me something and I need to learn to talk to this part of me. And the beauty about how to talk to it is not just telling it, shut up, or it's not true. It's like, you know, not a fact. What I find the most effective is to see whatever comes up as a negative thought as a question. 
Because in the brain, what happens when we hear a question, it's almost like hijacking our brain. You know, when I, when I ask you, for example, what's the middle name of your mother? In, in that moment, you somehow just think, oh, I don't remember, but you know, somehow your mind goes there. I, I actually don't remember, but, <laughs> but the, the point is that then when you hear a question, you look for an answer. And when you look for an answer, you're automatically in a more empowered position. So your subconscious tells you, will you get fired? Rather, oh, tomorrow you're going to get fired. Will I get fired? And then you can say, no, there's no reason to get fired. And here's a reason why. And then you are more in the educator or in the parent or in the comforter. So why don't you just write down, I mean, your listeners, three or four of the negative thoughts that usually create anxiety and put them into questions and then imagine how this feels to you differently and how it feels to you just to give answers, answers that are comforting, reassuring, and even, and this is always a kicker, people think, well, yeah, but what if I don't believe those answers? What if I, you know, feel like I'm fooling myself? For your mind, it doesn't matter whatsoever. It just needs another option because the anxiety can only see one option and that's disaster and doom. And it cannot see like, oh, there is maybe also something positive happening. And if you give your mind this, it already decreases the intensity by 50%. And again, you establish yourself more as the one who knows the answers rather than the one who is afraid of them. Love that. I love it. It puts you in the witness state, right? And it turns your frontal lobe on. To even ask the question means you're stepping out of the situation. Yes. Another technique that I, I think can work really well like, along very similar lines is to just notice, to just become the witness. Look how my body is feeling. Go towards it. Isn't yes. this interesting? Um, and then, you know, you asking the question, is this true? It, you know, is this true? Can can really, really help. And a lot of people don't realize they can talk back to their anxiety. You can have a conversation. It can be a two-way conversation. It is. And, you know, I noticed, I mean, I had often the experience that I write people at the beginning, ask people to write down their negative thoughts and then do this process of answering. And I mean, so many people came to me and they do handwriting because I think it's more effective. And oh, I have a whole booklet of just negative thoughts. And then, you know, a few weeks later, they come back and say, I don't find any negative thoughts anymore. I don't know what happened. And it really is this calming of the mind when you get actually attention, meaning the anxiety getting answers, somehow there are no questions left. So it's really something that works on the long run. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful way of feeling less anxious because we are often not aware of that thoughts are before our feelings. They're really bubbling thoughts that make us feel anxious. I mean, still now, you know, anxiety doesn't go away forever unless you're a robot or dead. But if you have anxiety, just you know, think about what was I thinking right before I had anxiety? What, what was happening in my mind? And you may be surprised to realize, oh, yeah, I played a little bit of a tune in my mind or a little voice came up, had a question, and I ignored it. And so the anxiety is the next step. Pay That's attention. Really, that's really important. And anxiety is necessary. You need it. Like, you're right. You're either you're a robot if you don't. You have to have some anxiety or you'll yell at your boss or cross the street without looking or eat moldy meat from your freezer. Like, we have to have it. It's that, That's why it's so important for people to understand that it's this integration. That's such a theme in our conversation today. It's it's a part of us that needs to be integrated. And that, that part just gets so separate. 
And like a little child that's being ignored and not listened to, it's going to keep having a temper tantrum or pulling on your, you know, shirt and wanting your attention. So I think yeah. that's, well, I think that's really powerful. I love the idea of writing things down. Um, so for a parent of a child who's really anxious, because I mean, there's, it's so layered, right? Because then you become the parent is also anxious. Mm-hmm. What is my child going to have a life? How are they going to have a full life? They're afraid of everything. They're watching other children run and play and go into birthday parties and not be scared hanging on their, you know, their parents' leg. So you've got sort of two layers of anxiety there. Um, do you have advice for parents on how to help, you know, how to help them as the parent? And also how can they talk to their child when their child is really stuck in that loop? Well, the first thing I would say to a parent is check your own anxiety because there's so much that you know we pick up. I mean, we can literally smell people's anxiety unconsciously and then feel anxious because of it. So there is a high likelihood that the parents are dealing with some stress, some instability that for the child doesn't feel comfortable. And even though there may be not really something clear to the child, it just feels like, oh, my world is shaking up. So that would be the first thing. Just try to relax and try to find a way to deal with your own emotions. And the second one is just really telling the child to not have a negative connection to her or his emotions. It's so important. Did you learn in school how to deal with your feelings? No. I mean, no one teaches you when you're sad, when you're angry, when you're this. No, it's like usually when you go into therapy or something, then you finally learn how to deal with emotions. And and I think as a parent, just showing the child how important emotions are and that there are no good or bad emotions, that all of them have a purpose. It's like a little internal family. And that's why I love this inside out cartoon, you know, with all these different uh, parts in the brain of the little girl. And, and it just makes so much sense to just see that, yeah, there are these aspects of us that have different visions and perspectives and you know ideas and just listening to them and not being afraid of them or ignoring them makes a huge difference. And then, of course, as a child, you can also learn to relax. I mean, the faster you can learn and children are so much more in tune you know, with feeling grounded and connected and just teaching to get out of the head and back into the body and more into the heart. That is, I think, something that's so powerful. And and I'm feeling so sad that so many children have been forced to get into their heads and really operate from their heads and, and plan and always have to, you know, really, they have calendars, something schedules that are busier than me. It's unbelievable. And so just having a little bit more space and and freedom and connection to the present moment. And of course, there are also concerns about do I fit in? Do they like me? And that has been around since ever. And those are more special or specific concerns that can be addressed. Mm-hmm. But first of all, don't make them afraid of their feelings. Just make them befriend their feelings. I think that's huge. And if you can raise your children knowing that, what a gift of emotional literacy and resilience. Mm. Right, to grow up that way. And our culture in particular, we're terrible at that. Feelings are seen as these negative, bad things that you have to get rid of or that you shouldn't feel. And even as a parent, you know, seeing your child cry or seeing your child in a fear state where they're too afraid to go into gymnastics or they're afraid to go into that birthday party, 
you know, it's a horrible, horrible feeling. And we immediately want to make them feel better. We want to soothe it. We want to make that pain go away. But the worst thing you can do is say, fine, you don't have to go into that birthday party. Oh, it's okay. You don't have to go today. The anxiety will literally go, oh, man, I am good. That worked. My person is alive. I'm going to make sure they don't go to that gymnastics thing again. And you know what? At this, I might do that with music and piano and school and anxiety generalizes, right? So you have to be, all of that is so important. And I love everything you just said there. Um, but the hardest thing is for a parent to be that frontal lobe, right? And say, we're not going to give into your anxiety. You're going to stay here for another few minutes, or we can watch the gymnastics class, but we're not going to run to the car because then your anxiety is going to think it won. So let's just make friends with your anxiety. Let's thank it for trying to look after us, or we're going to stay here even for a few minutes. The child at least gets some practice at talking back to the anxiety and not letting it kind of win, I guess. Yeah. And it does have to really be done according to what the child really needs because they're very sensitive beings and there are some that you know just are easier over the so-called hump but mm -hmm. i think there are you know just also children that i think really need the very very small win and then we have to absolutely celebrate the win and and build the confidence in themselves you know this is something that i think often is overlooked that you know, when this is a big deal for an anxious child to do it anyhow or stay in a situation and then really giving the child's mind the feedback, wow, thank you, this is great. See, it was all okay. It's not something that you had to be scared of. And next time we just stay a little bit longer and and that is better than throwing them in the deep end of the pool. So it's uh, definitely- no, that, can, that can cause trauma, but even, stay, even staying and counting to 10. Yeah. Totally. Just some small win, little by little by little in increments. And then your child learns, oh, I do, I can talk back to my anxiety a little bit. And the hardest part is the parent tolerating their child going through that. And you want to rescue them over and over again. But the more you rescue them, the bigger the anxiety gets, unfortunately. But you're right. You don't want to be like, oh, you're going to gymnastics and I'll see you in an hour. I mean, that could totally traumatize some children. You want to find those little wins and celebrate them. I love that. I love that. And I do also feel that in those situations, you know, there, there is just something about finding out what specifically is a scary part, because I mean, you know, one of the, the, the root causes of anxiety is the beliefs that are underneath them. What are actually our beliefs about ourselves and the world? And if a child never wants to go to the birthday party or wants to go to any other event, there must be a belief and that belief, you know, I mean, I had a very early belief in, in you know, that uh, basically I was stupid because my parents told me this way that I was, you know, someone who is a late bloomer and I interpreted, interpreted late bloomer as, okay, there's something really seriously wrong. And since ever then, I as a child, very afraid of doing anything that could even make me more lose my intelligence. And so maybe there was something this child had experienced, you know, something that was yeah you know when i think about it one time someone you know didn't talk to me anymore and talked only to this other person and i felt really like they don't like me and one event can already create a belief that everybody else gonna do it to this child too and just finding a little bit more clarity on what it is because children do have these insights they just need to be asked absolutely absolutely and 
at, and at Connected Parenting with my audience in particular, you know, they learn the calm techniques, which you and I talked about when I was on your podcast, how to investigate, how to ask questions, how to be present with your child so you can find out what's going on. And, and it could be that it could be a belief. It could be maybe in that gymnastics class, the teacher did something not nice or they got hurt or they watched somebody get hurt. And if you don't ask those questions, you won't know. And you won't, you don't want to inadvertently because anxiety generalizes. Uh, create a bigger problem. So asking the questions and really having a loving conversation with your child about those beliefs and those beliefs, you're right. They start now, right? They start prior to the age of seven. They are programs that are just downloaded into that subconscious mind. This has been an amazing conversation. Can you, can you leave us with a couple of practical strategies? I mean, you've given us a number already, writing things down, asking questions, um, going deeper with your children, but something practical that parents could do that anyone who's anxious could do that could take them back from that edge i mean you know i always think we can go to anxiety from all different kinds of angles of course you know i love the subconscious angle and they're wonderful things also for children doing guided meditations and just ways to befriend yourself with this more creative imaginative part of uh, your your mind and you know the intellectual part is not very creative it's like you know a black and white one but that subconscious has a lot to offer it's not just the anxious it also is the one that when you read a book you make up the pictures and the story and you're in the middle of it and that's what the subconscious also does so you know that's one angle to go to but then there is also the physiological angle and the physiological angle is just helping your parasympathetic nervous system to get activated you know the the stress and the fight and flight is run by the sympathetic nervous system. So going more into the parasympathetic nervous system and teaching a child or as an adult, how do I activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is literally calming your entire being down. It's designed when you activate it for rest, for recuperation, for healing, digestion, all those things. And there are certain nerve endings that do activate that parasympathetic nervous system and that's especially good when you have a panic attack you know just to get out of it and so here are three things that you can do one is cold water cold water on your wrists or cold water even in your in your neck really stimulates this vagus nerve and that's you know one of the major nerves of this parasympathetic helps beautifully chanting especially chanting a, like something like Om or Ma or something is also just like, you know, you can do a, your child, it's a Om or Ma, and then all of a sudden the sympathetic nervous, uh, parasympathetic nervous system gets stimulated, laying on your back, having your really on the hard floor, ideally, you can have a little pillow on your, on your back, but the shoulders should be on the floor and then inhaling five seconds, holding five seconds, exhaling five seconds. That's a beautiful way to stimulate this. Tapping gently the upper lips here. This is full of little nerve endings that stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. Blowing on the tip of your thumb can really help. All of those things are wonderful ways to, to go there. And then another uh, physiological way is just to learn to soothe yourself by making yourself feel good physically. So whether it's hugging yourself, whether it's gently caressing yourself, whether giving yourself a little body um, belly rub, 
those things are incredibly loving and nurturing, and we often want them from others. But learning as a child also to give it to yourself. You know, a child is to take care of the little stuffed animal friend they have, and they can also learn, yeah, that's comforting to have my little, you know, for me, it was a penguin, a penguin called Pontus. It's nice to have that penguin, but it's also nice when you're equally holding yourself. It's also nice when you're equally, you know, just in giving yourself a little rub and, and just really teaching this self-care, self-compassion, self-kindness as a fundamental way to relate to yourself, because that gets you out of this conditional acceptance and out of this expectation and having to meet those expectation loop and just going more in self-acceptance. Because if you accept yourself, you're free of all of that. Yes, you will be motivated and ambitious, but you still have a foundation of self-acceptance. And if parents can achieve that, then they have really done a good job. Thank you. That's really powerful. Those are really useful things, I think, for parents. And the key to just, you know, loving yourself, self-compassion, going towards it instead of running away from it, I think is really, really important. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing so much of your childhood and some of your own experiences that led you to anxiety. I really appreciate that. Help my viewers understand where they can find you. How can they find out about, about what you offer and your information? Tell us about that. Uh, go to my website, drfriedman.com. It's spelled D-R-F-R-I-E-D-E-M-A-2-N.com. I'm sure they can find it also in the bio there. Uh, I have two books. One is actually coming out uh, in March, and it's called The Empowerment Solution. And the first book I wrote was The Fear and Anxiety Solution. Both are about uh, the subconscious mind. And both give you many, many tools to work with anxiety, but also to work on finding yourself, connecting to yourself and living from that more, I'm the creator of my reality place. And then I do one-on-one -on -one sessions with clients and also have uh, video seminars, a podcast. So there are many ways to, to find me. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I really appreciate it. And for the beautiful work you're doing in the world. It's it's really important. You're a very important voice in this whole anxiety world. And it's, uh, it's definitely, there's, these are difficult times for people. So this is a great light for them. Thank you everyone for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed my conversation. I'm looking forward to bringing uh, more amazing guests on board in the future. So I'm looking forward to many more conversations. If you'd like more information on Connected Parenting, please go to connectedparenting.com. We've got all kinds of services there for you. We've got our village where people can join together in a community with a Connected Parenting practitioner helping you with all answer all your parenting questions and practice some of the techniques. We've got a whole team of people at Connected Parenting where we see people from all over the world. We've got my books, Connected Parenting, How to Raise a Great Kid, and You're Ruining My Life, uh, Surviving the Teenage Years with Connected Parenting. Um, we also have our masterclass and there's two versions of that. There's one with just videos, you own it for life, where I walk you through all the connected parenting methodology. And then there's another version where I interact with everyone in a Facebook group um, and also in monthly coaching calls. So we try to put all kinds of things together for you at Connected Parenting to help you along with your parenting journey. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I'll see you next time on the next episode of Connected Parenting.